Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 223, recorded November 21st, 2015. So we're doing something a little different than what we promised you last week. We promised you that we would do Captain's Log, Jellico, and then the Romulans miniseries, Hollow Crown. But right. upon, upon looking at it, we realized that Hollow Crown was part of a uh, three-part miniseries John Byrne kind of did with the Romulans. So we're going to do things a little different. We're going to do Alien Spotlight Volume 1 Romulans, and then we're going to do Romulans Hollow Crown. And then next week, we're going to do Romulan Schism, which is a three-parter, uh, which kind of concludes his Romulan trilogy. And yeah. then we'll do Jellico uh, later in uh, episode 225. Right. And something that's kind of interesting is there is an honorary fourth member of this trilogy, so quadrilogy, whatever, which really is the original Balance of Terror episode. So... Oh, good point. I hadn't even thought about that. But yes, Balance of Terror is a huge part of uh, these stories. Right. So, Byrne, again, I love this about him. It's like he's looking at the nooks and crannies of things we didn't know about. So what led to the Romulans actually coming out of their shell and testing the Federation that happened in Balance of Terror? And then what happened after that episode? So. These issues are telling you, and I think that is so cool. Right, yeah. Lots of little quips that you and I have had over the years, you know, little snide comments about things that have changed between Balance and Terror and the next time we see Romulans get answered, which I never thought would get answered. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's like all those stories about, oh, yeah, they broke the Romulan ship model, which was probably the case. Uh, But, you know, like you... This is actually a comment I had written down earlier. But like you, John Byrne wants to explain things. He wants things to fit. So, and he, but he makes comic books to right, explain yeah, all this stuff. Exactly. <laughs> Where you just talk about it, which is exactly. fine, which is great. But you and him, you and Byrne, of uh, of a similar mind. All right. Yeah. No. Uh, it's good stuff. I, I'm enjoying these. Yeah. Me too. All right, well, you want to go ahead and get started with Alien Spotlight number one? That sounds great. All right, so first up is Star Trek Alien Spotlight number one, Romulans. Uh, Not to be confused with the other Alien Spotlight volume two, Romulans. So this is the first one. Came out uh, February of 2008. Written and drawn by John Byrne. Colors by Leonard O'Grady. Letters by Neil Utaki. Edits by Chris Royale, and covers by John Byrne and Zach Howard. So speaking of covers, the cover A uh, just shows a Romulan holding a disruptor sitting in a command chair. It's kind of a down-looking-up perspective. Cover B is a uh, smiling little Romulan uh, who we learn in this issue is actually the Praetor. Uh, He's sitting in a throne 
and below him we see various other Romulans, and the one in the middle looks suspiciously like Sarek of Vulcan. Weird. The photo cover is uh, Mark Leonard and his second-in-command and some other Romulans from the Balance of Terror episode. And then the cover RI-B is a black-and-white version of cover B. So it's the John Byrne cover with the, the little Romulan in the, in the chair. All right, so the story starts off with the diminutive Praetor showing Kyrus who is the Romulan commander from the Balance of Terror episode, played by Mark Leonard. So he's showing him the newest craft in the Romulan Empire, and it's the Romulan Bird of Prey. They tour the inside of the ship, and the Praetor shows the group to the bridge. Uh, once he's there, he targets Kyrus's current command ship and destroys it with a plasma attack that engulfs the whole ship, causing it to implode. The Praetor then takes the group into a shuttle, and they depart the Bird of Prey, which then cloaks to everyone's dismay. He then tells Kyrus that the Bird of Prey will be his to command, and he is to report to him in the morning for its maiden voyage. Once they arrive back on Romulus, the Praetor retires to his room, and he has a discussion with an unknown person about how unimpressed Kyrus was about the new ship and his new command. The person, who we only see the hand of, tells the Praetor that Kyrus is the best commander in the Romulan fleet. At Kyrus's home, he is greeted by his wife and young son named Gaius, who tells him that he's been assigned to Kyrus's new ship. Kyrus refuses to allow this to happen, and also does not share his reasons for that decision. The boy, being young and rash, says that he's never allowed to have any fun, and he storms out of the room. Not quite what he says, but you get the point. Back in the Praetor's chambers, the Praetor gives a Romulan commander named Theseus a new appointment. And while he's doing this, the mysterious man from earlier tells someone on a communicator that the Praetor is just too easy to manipulate. They will soon have the plans for the cloaking device. The next morning, Kyrus talks to his longtime friend about his new assignment, and they discuss that starting a war with Starfleet would not be wise. He eventually makes his way to the Praetor and is shocked to see that his wife is already there. Angry, he demands to know the meaning of this. The Praetor does not like to be questioned, and then he questions Kyrus's loyalty to the Romulan Empire. So much so that he appoints Theseus as a liaison to the Praetor who will serve aboard the new ship and report directly to the Praetor. Reluctantly, Kyrus relents and allows this to happen. As they leave to board the new ship, a guard refuses to allow Kyrus's wife to leave, and then the Praetor leaves a few open-ended threats that she will remain to make sure that Kyrus's performance is at his best. As Kyrus is leaving the Capitol building, he meets with his son one last time. The son seems to have forgiven his father for not letting him join him on this dangerous mission. With that, Kyrus boards a shuttle with his longtime friend, and they head out to the spaceport. Back in the Praetor's chambers, he is looking at a screen of a Constitution-class ship, and he marvels that it is the best that the Federation has. His mysterious conspirator then offers a toast to the Romulans' upcoming victories. With that, we see that it has been a Klingon commander the whole time. 
bum bum bum. The end. You ain't kidding, bum bum bum. What the heck's a Klingon doing there? Very cool. Now, did you know it was a Klingon uh, just by the conversations he was having with the Praetor and he was talking on the communicator that soon we will have the cloaking ship? I don't think so. I don't think that necessarily told me it was a Klingon. I mean, quite frankly, I, <laughs> I've read enough of these comics, the ones that all go together to make, to, to make up this, this big Romulan epic that IDW has done. I've read enough of the other ones to know it, Klingons were involved. Right. So it kind of ruined it because I kind of, kind of looked around, bopped around a little bit. Right. Did you not read the other ones in the past? Well, I had actually, you know, I, I like to kind of thumb through the pages. Sure. And unfortunately, because I'd seen that last page before I'd actually read it, it I knew obviously it was going to come up. Uh, but just reading it, and I was trying to think of it, if I didn't know what that last page looked like, would I have gotten it? And I'm hoping I would have, because obviously he's like, soon we will have the cloaking device, and obviously yeah. Klingons do get the cloaking device. But, but, um, but you knew it was a, but you knew it was a, a non-Romulan. Well, I did just because I had read the, uh, or I'd seen that last page. Oh, okay, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. I was just trying to put myself in the <clears throat> mentality of, if I didn't know that last page, would I have come to that conclusion? And right. I don't know if I would have, but it wouldn't have been a surprise if. if you know, I wouldn't be that surprised if I got to that last page and like, yeah. oh, it's a Romulan, or Klingon the whole time. If I knew it was a non-Romulan, then I might have figured out it was a Klingon because how many other options are there? But um, <laughs> it's I... not a Bolian. He doesn't have blue hands. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and it could be a threat we've never seen before. That's possible, but... Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, but... so, I mean, uh, you know, this kicks off the whole... I mean, John Byrne goes off on a on a Romulan tangent here with this one, and then we're gonna also do Hollow Crown one and two, and then right. schisms and everything else. But I, I wonder why he did that, and why in such an odd way that you know this issue was part of a Alien Spotlight you know anthology series, and then he has too many series to kind of follow up on this one. But nowhere does it say that you know Hollow Crowns. You know, volume two of this story and, and uh, Schisms is volume three. Yeah, right, exactly. They, they do not explicitly, nowhere have I seen published, hey, here's five or six comic book issues and they all go together. Right. A- and I've peeked ahead. I mean, so we know. Okay, so there's like five, is it five or six? Anyway, the, the two alien spotlights, like you say, the Schisms, and uh, and the Hollow Crown. These are all telling the same epic story. They're just in different time periods of telling the story. And of course, this whole Romulan epic story fits into the original Taw's Balance of Terror TV episode. And I just think that's cool. I think this. I mean, you remember on, yeah. remember on Next Gen. When they had all those episodes that really told like a big, epic Klingon story, you know, with Worf, right. and, you know, I, that right. was pretty cool. So there wasn't there was like almost like an epic Klingon uh, story told there, and then this is the Romulan version of the same thing, but it's in comics, and I think it's great. Yeah, I agree. The thing that's kind of odd, 
and maybe we'll talk about more of this when we get to the last, when we cover the last uh, of these comics. But the date in which these things have been published, they're all over the map. It's like the, right. So the the chronology of when they're published and the chronology of when the story's happening is like all over the place, which I find very interesting. And it's not all just Byrne, too. Byrne tells the core of the story, but there's other people telling other pieces, which is interesting. Right, yeah. The second uh, Alien Spotlight, which which you know, I kind of pointed out, that there are two Alien Spotlights. They both just only say Alien Spotlight, Romulan's number right. one. So, um, But if you look at the publishing date, one is 2009 and the other one's 2008. Those aren't, you know, one's John Byrne, the other one's not. And But all the other Romulan ones, Schisms and Hollow Crown, are all kind of John Byrne's continuing story. Right. And then, so, for some reason, that other one that's written by a totally different guy also tells another piece of the story. Yeah, well, we're going to do that one in uh, in a couple episodes, and, and yeah. I have a few things to say about that one. Yeah, 225? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, it, uh, it seems to um, not be sure what timeline it's in. Okay. Well, the, oh, good. I'm looking forward to that conversation. A little teaser for a couple episodes. Ooh, right? there you go. Okay. But back to this one. Right. So it's never said that this son is named Gaius, but because I've read the later issues, you know, Hollow Crown and, and Schisms, they mm-hmm. do call this boy Gaius. Right. But uh, so that's what I called him in the synopsis. But if you remember, and I don't remember the episode we covered it in, but in Deep Space Nine, there was a, a comic called Blood and Honor that was actually written by Mark Leonard. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I kind of do. It was, you know, based in the in the Deep Space Nine era, right? But uh, but Kiris's son, the you know uh, the, the Romulan commander's son from Bounce of Terror, shows up, and it at at this point it should be this kid, you know, reading it. I, w- I was like, oh, this this is that kid. But then when you read Hollow Crown and Schisms, you're like, oh no, this is this is a completely different kid. Yeah. So I don't know. I kind of wish, you know, and I know different publishers. They don't, they don't have to keep in line with what the other one did. But no. that one would have been nice, just because it was written by Mark Leonard. You would, you would think that, you know, if anybody knows this Romulan commander's life story, it should be Mark Leonard. And that was written after all these IDW stories. No, way before. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. So maybe yeah, no, it was written way before and. Published by Malibu Comics. Right, yeah, exactly, right. Okay. But, I mean, and, and we know that when IDW took on the rights, they're like, eh, well, none of that other DC, Malibu, Marvel stuff happened. Right. And I get why they do that, but yeah, you, know, you just yeah. kind of wish that little things like that, like this guy's name, could have at least carried over this little kid. You know, he right. has a son in both. Why did, you know, right. why not a daughter in one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, so Mark Leonard in his comic was making up what we didn't see in Balance of Terror. Right. So that was his version of what happened. So His version of what happened and what happened after with his descendant. So his, right. his son, how yeah. his son grew up to be a man and what he was doing yeah. during the time frame of Deep Space Nine. Right. And I think it even had, like, either it was implying that it was Kirk's granddaughter or maybe one of his, his nephew's da- daughter or something. Yeah. Some descendant. Yeah, I forgot her name. Jamie Kirk, I think. Something like that. Anyways, it was a good issue, and, you know, written by Mark Leonard, and you would kind of, I kind of wish that they would actually go back and 
at least bring right. back some of them. Right, exactly, stuff. right. So, Even though I know that they don't have to. But. No, no, no. And so that was no fault of Mark Leonard. He's told his story with what, what, what existed at the time. Absolutely. So it's is more of an IDW burn thing that they had their own version they wanted to do. And they did it. Yeah, right. So, but yeah, it's too bad there couldn't be better consistency. But, right. whatever. Whatever. You know, one thing I kind of like about what they're saying with the Romulan Bird of Prey in this issue, uh, and definitely, I guess I didn't quite get it 100% in the Taws episode, but how they're presenting that Romulan Bird of Prey as, like, uh, brand new and a prototype and and it being a rare prototype and how it's so bleeding edge in its technology that it's too bleeding edge for its own good. It's a death trap. It's like, I never got that from the original uh, Taws episode. Right. But they're making it very clear in this one and some other comic issues. So that was kind of interesting. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Well, um, in the original show, do, I mean, is it, does it say it's the first one? Uh, I don't remember them saying that. Yeah, I just assumed it was, you know... Yeah, one, one of a fleet. Out there. Exactly. Yeah. I just thought it was one of a bunch of them. But I guess this is John Byrne's way of explaining why we never see it again. Because it was... This was the, the prototype and... Well, I think we... Well, I mean, because in the show, don't they start flying around in Klingon ships for no reason? Well, I... Okay. I, I could have sworn that there were other episodes, where at least one more episode, where we saw this style ship again. Right. Well, I'm not saying there's not. But but but, just, but definitely definitely by the third season, maybe part of the second season. I don't remember exactly. Uh, but definitely by the third season, whenever you see Romulans, I mean towards the end, yeah, they were always in the Klingon ships. I agree with that. Right. Anyway, so I, I just didn't realize that it was such a rare bird. Yeah. No, I didn't either. Um, and here I'm going to tell you one thing that that I probably needed to go back and watch Balance of Terror. Uh, but this like plasma weapon that right. he shoots and it destroys this giant uh, Romulan dreadnought that Kyrus and his uh, sub-commander has been on all this time. Right. Is that from that episode? Uh, oh, yeah. And oh, they yeah. Don't do that, they don't do that to the Emprise. They try to. And then, the yeah, so they shoot so they shoot the plasma weapon. Now, whether they called it a plasma weapon, I don't recall. They probably did, but I don't remember that. Okay. Um, they shoot the, the plasma weapon at the Enterprise, and then it's like, oh, crap. And then they turn the, sh- they turn the ship and then just go at, as fast as they can away from it. And what they discover is limited range. So if it— But if they it, knew it would do something like this? I thought it was just like a normal torpedo-type thing. It's not a torpedo-type thing. And, and they didn't present it as a torpedo-type thing. Okay. So— I don't. I don't recall exactly during the episode how they found out what destructive, what destructive power it had, but they knew it was really destructive, and they had them dead to rights when they fired it on them. So maybe Spock's sensors detected. Oh, that's a lot of. That's very powerful, and then they started trying to just get away from it, mm-hmm. uh, and luckily they got out of its range, so it had kind of it dissipates over over distance. Right. Well, good thing because. Would have stunk if this is what happened to the Enterprise. Oh yeah, very formidable weapon, but you got to be close. So. And why don't we ever see it again when we see the Romulans? Nah. <laughs> Good question. Yeah. Right. So I mean, at, at this point, we've only you know 
spoiler alert, we've we've read the Hollow Crown and it it's not ever mentioned in there. So that's why I was really confused. And I wanted to go back and watch the Balance of Terror to see if that's where it came from, but I have not had a chance yeah. to. Yeah, so maybe so by, by next week. They, they had finish up the they had the awesome so the Romulans had the cloaking device and they had the awesome directed energy weapon. So right. they had two advantages. Only to get those two advantages, they had they you know, it also introduced some very uh problematic power issues with the cutting edge ship. So hmm. all right, cool. Well thank you for that little reminder. Yeah. Um, speaking of power consumption, whatever, I love how the guy Praxis, the former shipmate of the commander, is trying to warn him of the power consumption problems. So that's great. But the Emperor is like, oh, don't, you know, come over here. Don't worry about that. <laughs> We're, it's all good. You're going to do great things. So. What do you think of the Emperor? I do not like this little guy. Oh, of course not. <laughs> he's, he's... I mean, I just don't like him as he's he's almost played like a comical type, uh, you know. Like when you see those people that, you know, those shows that lampoon like Napoleon and things like that, you know, yeah. the little. The little one. Yeah. Yeah, but Napoleon was anything li- anything like that. Yes. Well, uh, what? so is this like a product of inbreeding or something? I don't know. But he <laughs> he's a nasty little fella, and he is ruthless. And he cares about power and nothing else. And, um, yeah, yeah, I don't like him. I don't think you're supposed to like him. Yeah, well, I mean, I, there's one thing of not liking him because they're a nasty person. There's another thing to not like him just because he seems like a almost a caricature of... Oh, a caricature of... Yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't look like a Romulan. He's always, like, smiling, and he's this tiny little guy that's... Well, like a weasel, I guess. I don't yeah. know what, it, what he's supposed well, to he's be. Well, he's a weaselly guy who probably, in the back of his mind, at least to some degree, is overcompensating for his uh, his minimal frame. Mm, maybe. Well, they never say that, but it's like... Right. It seems like it. Yeah. Just just not a, not a fan of the character. Oh. What, do you think he... He doesn't... He's not... He He's too funny and he doesn't present a proper threat? Or what? I mean, obviously he poses a threat because he's powerful right. and people will do what he said, but he almost seems like, you know, the off-with-his-head type yeah, thing yeah, you know, that, yeah. that just like, right. kills anybody who questions him and doesn't really do anything himself, which I guess is what they want because they want to show how the Klingons are manipulating him at the end of the episode. Yeah. Well, and also, this guy was never... I don't think this guy was ever a military guy, so... You know, all he knows is a life of privilege. I mean, he was probably... So he, this Praetor is probably descended... I think he might have sent it at one point or another in one of these issues. Uh, you know, descendant from previous Praetors. So it isn't like he earned where he's at. He just was born into the right place. Right. So, you know, he may have been, like, modeled off of some of the, you know, the English, European kings... Right. Where there was just a lot of inbreeding going on, and you know you got to have royal blood, and you That's, end that up. That sounds ooky. Yeah. Well, it. Well, yeah. You. You. Yeah. You'd like you'd marry a cousin, that kind of thing. <laughs> Hopefully not your yeah. sister, but. 
yeah. So you end up getting these. I mean, that's. I think that was inbreeding is part of the reason why some of the kings were actually quite mad. Right. Anyway. Hmm. All right. Uh, my last comment for this issue is when it does show the um, Constitution class ship at the end. Right. I wanted to call it the Enterprise, but I don't think it's supposed to be the Enterprise. But anyways, it has this weird bulbous thing at the very bottom of the ship. Uh-huh. That's not consistent with the, well, you're, the actual ship. Are you saying behind the saucer, uh, the, the radar saucer thing, and and on the bottom? Is that what you're saying? I'm talking about on the bottom of the actual saucer, you know, like on right the saucer. underneath the bridge. Like if you were... Drilling down through the bridge okay. to the under under part of the saucer. <clears throat> oh, okay. I mean, okay. there is a there is a little thing at the sure. at underneath the saucer, but it's not that pronounced. I mean, this looks like a little mountain. It's yeah. I think the way they drew it, they drew it too long. I agree. But that little that little nipple on the bottom, I mean, that was always there. A little nipple on the bottom, because that was always right. green it's, it's plastic like little... on the fifteen Jillion Enterprise models I made. However, it was on the way green plastic? it was a little green plastic thing, yeah. So as you oh, okay. but as you travel down the, the bottom of the saucer section to get to the little nipple on the bottom, that part's too long. Right. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's too is it's too long. It's elongated. And then if you look at the first picture, the first panel at the top of the page, it's bad enough. But then the next one where the the Praetor is looking at a monitor that's directly right. across from it looks even worse it looks even worse it looks even longer than it should be that's what you're talking about right 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 yeah, no, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. i don't think it's very accurate i agree yeah. i agree but if you look at the if you look at the nacelle in the first picture and you look at the registry number on the nacelle it looks like it might be ncc 17 yeah, and I and I really all. and I can't really tell what the last two digits are. Right, like twenty four maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Or zero one. <laughs> you don't know. Anyway, don't know. All right, that was my last one. What else you got? Um, I guess the last thing I have to say is it's interesting in this book, the Klingon at the end, who's you know manipulating the Praetor. His name's Corlot, right? But in the next issue in the story, it's going to be Koloth. Spoiler, dude. Okay, well, I may be going ahead a little I, bit. I, didn't, I don't but... remember them... I don't remember them reading the... I don't remember the name. Does he say Kolat? Corlat. At the end? Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I think they said it, but that's obvious. Look at it. The guy, the guy looks like... Um, like Wolverine. That's not yeah, that's not Koloth. Like Koloth. That's not Koloth. Right. And I thought no. they did say his name. Hmm. Maybe they didn't. But the main point is that's that's not the same guy. That's not Koloth. Right. Now this is new. So did and I, I to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure where I got the name Korlat if they didn't say it in here. Oh no, you're right. Um when he's when he's talking when this guy is talking to somebody on a communicator he says, uh, whoever he's talking to says, Corlat report. Okay, there you go. Schedule. So, yeah, okay. that is his name. Okay so, right. okay, so the thing is, I don't remember 
work in the Praetor being transitioned from somebody to Koloth. I thought it was Koloth pulling the strings. So, yeah, just mention. Well, yeah. Well, we'll find that out in the next the next issue. Yeah. Well. Okay. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. yeah. I don't know who this dude was. Yeah. Okay. That's my last comment. I do like that they're drinking Romulan ale. For yes. So it appears. Really no, they they don't actually say that though, right? Nope. But it does. That's the same. Th- that's the same thing I thought. As uh, as the Klingon was pouring the uh, the beverage, I thought that has to be Romulan ale. Or it could be that Bolian drink that's actually made out of Bolian. <laughs> but this is green. This is not blue. <laughs> I know. I'm kidding. Okay. It's kind of teal colored. Well, but not blue. Right. Right. All right. Well, you ready to move on to Hollow Crown and see where this goes? Sounds great. Okay, so that was pretty interesting to see what led up to Balance of Terror. But I imagine many times you've asked yourselves, what happened afterward? Well, we found out in uh, the Hollow Crown series. Two issues, and I am doing the first synopsis. Romulans, the Hollow Crown, number one, October 2008, published date. The writer and art, John Byrne, colors, Leonard O'Grady, letterer, Robbie Robbins, editor, Chris Ryle. The cover shows a three-person line of Romulans running down the left side. Down the right side is a three-person line of Klingons that include Captain Koloff. Down the middle is an 11-ship matrix of Taws-era Romulan and Klingon warships. The mad, petulant, and runtish praetor of the Romulan Empire screams out on the edge of control that he wants them both dead before the third moon rises. He is speaking of the wife and son of the brave commander that allowed a Federation ship to destroy his pride and joy, a prototype ship with cloaking capabilities and one of the most powerful directed energy weapons in the galaxy. The Praetor's rant is overheard by a relative, a cousin, that has a claim on the Praetor ship himself. As long as the Praetor is in place, it is extremely unlikely he will ever get close to what he thinks is his rightful position. The ranting Praetor enters his quarters, and as he does so, he tells his underlings he wants to see the vid scans of their executions and soon. As the Praetor closes the door to his room, he turns to find he is not in his room at all, but rather on a ship. A Klingon ship, judging by the two Klingons standing before him. The Klingon leader, Captain Koloth, approaches the Praetor, claiming his only plan is to become valued friends of the Romulan Empire. The Praetor objects to the abduction, at first, but then slowly warms to the Klingon's words. In the end, he takes the Klingon's advice and spares the wife and son of the fallen Romulan ship commander. It's all part of the Klingon's plan that is now the Praetor's plan. Lady Aaron, the wife of the fallen Romulan ship commander, is still feisty towards the weak but dangerous Praetor. He placates her and her son Gaius to some degree by unveiling an amazingly quickly constructed huge monument to the fallen commander. The Lady Aaron says her husband was a man of duty, not pomp and circumstance. Still, the monument did capture some of the nobility that always shone in her husband's eyes. The Praetor's rival, 
and the brother of the fallen commander are at the unveiling and talk about the missteps the Praetor is taking. The Lady Aaron and her son Gaius discuss the statue. Afterwards, when they're alone, the Lady Aaron and her son Gaius discuss the statue, why they were spared, and what future they may or may not have. Later still, Gaius is surprisingly given a prestige posting on a ship just like the one her father died on. The Praetor has commissioned the construction of nine more such ships. This underscores the Praetor's faith in the ship and lack of faith in the original prototype's commander. The commander of the ship is an old friend of Gaius's father and takes him under his wing. Several Klingons walk up and introduce themselves to the young man. They will be observing from the Romulan ship the battle exercise about to begin. The exercise will pit the Romulan cloaked ship against a Klingon crew in a D-7 battle cruiser. The objective will be for the Klingon crew to find the amazing cloaked Romulan ship and simulate taking her or destroying her. The exercise begins. The Klingons use concussion rounds to set up overlapping waves that they think the presence of the cloaked ship will disrupt, and in that way be detectable. That plan fails, so the Klingons are close to losing, when one of the three Klingons on the cloaked Romulan ship drops a small electronic device from the tabletop. The sound apparently is enough for the Romulan vessel to be detected. She fires a simulated disruptor blast right into the Romulan ship's engines. That counts as a kill shot. Gaius runs up to the Klingons, calling them cheaters. The Klingons say there is no such word in the Klingon language. The Romulan commander knows the Klingons cheat, but by the rules of the exercise, the Klingons won. Six months pass on Romulus. In that time, Lady Erin has become a senator and gained much respect among her peers. She does not make her ill opinion of the Praetor a secret. The Praetor observes this and tells Koloth she is gaining power. Not enough to threaten him now, but if she continues to gain momentum... Koloth redirects the Praetor's plans to remove the Lady Erin the hard way into a new direction. He talks the Praetor into offering marriage to the fair lady. She is quite lovely, and better to have her power join the Praetors rather than fighting against him. The Lady Aaron makes a fiery speech before the entire Romulan Senate, questioning the massive amount of public funds being spent on the Praetor's fleet of prototype ships. These prototype ships, that have never scored a victory in battle, and in fact has only succeeded in killing a crew that included her husband. Her speech is well received by her peers, but when she steps down from the podium, she is taken to see the Praetor. She thinks it will be a one-way trip, but instead finds the Praetor attempting to woo her. He tells her Gaius will be promoted to command his own ship. Meanwhile, the ship Gaius serves on, and seven more like her, are surrounding a Federation starship that has crossed into the neutral zone. Happy day! It is the Enterprise! The ship that killed Gaius's father, and brought an unspoken shame to an empire. A clever ruse by the Federation ship's captain has the Romulan ships moving away from her quickly. 
The Federation captain takes advantage of the breathing room and makes a run for it. They get away. Gaius warned his commander that it was a trick, but the commander could not take a chance with eight of the Praetor's finest ships in danger of destruction. The ships returned to Romulus, and at a bar where Gaius is drowning sorrows, two Klingons accost him. They remind him that he let the murderer of his father go. That starship captain! Is that any way to honor the memory of your father? Gaius says no bitterly. It is not. Gaius leaves drunk and angry. He starts to head back to his quarters, but thinks better of it, and instead heads to his father's house. There he finds a contingent of flying cars and security guards at the house. The Praetor is here. The slimy Praetor welcomes Gaius and says his time aboard the ship has served him well, as it did his father. He will strike a fine figure when he takes his proper place at the wedding. Gaius says, wedding? He turns away from the Praetor and moves away to find his mother. She is dressed all in black. Gaius asks her what she has done. She replies, it is what the Praetor has done. He has asked me to be his queen, and I have said yes. Meanwhile, in orbit, the two Klingons that accosted Gaius report to Koloff, who is kicking back in his office and smoking some crazy Klingon hookah. They say they accomplished their mission, and it was easy. They planted the seeds in Gaius that will bear fruit. Koloff says, excellent and transports over to a new Klingon ship in the area. Koloss says, excellent, and transports over to a new Klingon ship in the area. Koloth makes his way through the large ship, until he comes to the captain's quarters. Koloth reports that all is going according to plan. His back still turned to Koloth. He says he has done well. Koloth's devious approach is not his style, but it seems to be serving the Empire well. The captain turns. It's core. He says with the Romulans as our unwitting pawns, we may yet circumvent the Organian interference. The names of Kor and Koloth will jointly be enshrined in the Hall of Heroes. To be continued. Kor and Koloth, our favorite Klingons. You ain't kidding. You ain't... I, I always liked Trelane as, uh, as a Klingon. <laughs> right. So, uh, cool to see Koloth. And of course, Kor. I mean, Kor is the quintessential Taw's Klingon. He's great. Right. But we've said that before. Yep. So I really like explaining the Klingon-Romulan alliances and things like that. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah, one more thing I just wanted to say about the, the team up between Kor and Koloth. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's very, I mean, when I'm reading this, it's like, wow! You know, two of Kirk's biggest foes. Um, and, you know, it's almost like when the Vulture and Doc Ock team up on Spidey. <laughs> right. It's cool. I like that. That's funny. So the Vulture and Doc Ock are your favorite Spidey villains? No, not necessarily. <laughs> it's just that, you know how. In some of the early comics, you know, obviously it was one-on-one. And then all of a sudden, you know, every once in a while you get an issue or two where, like, they all gang up on Spidey. And somehow he finds a way to defeat, like, two or three of them at one time. Or six, since there's a Sinister Six. Exactly, right. So how he does that is always fascinating. But it just kind of reminded me of that. Right. 
it almost you almost wish you did have a Kirk story going on along through this, so that right. he w- there would be somebody to defeat him. Right. But the cool thing is, Kirk is there. You just don't see him. Right. Yeah, I loved having that little flashback to uh, when, when the Enterprise was surrounded by those Romulan ships. Right. And I did. I didn't go and look it up. Did you look it up? Because I don't remember exactly which episode that was. Uh, it's the one where they get the warp drive. So um, really, is, is that it? the one? I thought it was. Well, I might be wrong. Or the warp drive or the cloaking device. Cloaking device. Yeah, that's what. I so mean. that would have been the Enterprise incident. Hmm. Or did they Maybe? already have the Klingon ships by then? I might be wrong. But that, I, was the only, I, that was the only one I could think of where they were surrounded by. Yeah, they they were surrounded by a bunch of them. But you know that was the one where he purposely they they talked about. I didn't include it in the synopsis, but that's the one where he used the old Corbomite device thing. That's right, and scared them off. And yeah, I that's, that's don't I don't remember that being an Enterprise incident. Right, I don't think you're right. So, I don't think you're right. So somebody out there listening among the legion of fans, I'm sure they are saying, "You idiot." This is the yeah. this is the episode, but I don't remember what it was, and I didn't go looking it up. So, right, sorry. It's enough that we remembered the scene, right? The, the actual episode. <laughs> so wonderful again how Byrne is able to weave in these references to the original uh, episodes. Very great. Multiple yeah. original episodes. Yeah, whole whole seasons. I mean, basically the whole Romulan arc is somewhat represented in all these books. Oh, at various points, it's kind of cool, right? So I thought it was a very colorful comic, if I may comment. It just seemed like there was lots of color on many of the uh, panels. So that's what struck me. The art was very good. Very much enjoy the art. But the thing that really first struck me was how much color there was in it. Yeah, it it pops. Yeah. The John Byrne style always reminds me of, because the very first exposure I had to John Byrne was uh, he was in charge of rebooting superman after the crisis of infinite earths uh, oh. where they wanted to just basically start from scratch with superman and he he did the uh miniseries man of steel and then he was in charge of all the superman books after that and he drew and wrote superman and the adventures of superman so you know he had two superman books every month that he was drawing and writing um that uh so uh, you know, every time I'm looking at some of these pictures of these Romulans, I'm like, "Hey, that's it's his Lois Lane model, and hey, that's <laughs> that's his Superman model." So, oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's and but his color choices and and his art style, you see that here that I remember from the '80s back when uh, when he did Superman. Right. It's kind of cool. Cool. Well, I knew he had done a lot of other things in the comic book world, very well respected. I did not realize he uh, had taken over Superman on such an important uh, period in Superman's uh, history. Interesting. Yep, yep. Coming back to these books, one thing that did kind of bug me a little bit about it is the scientific liberties he took. In oh, yeah, the, which one? In, in the story. And quite frankly, I think he was just pretty much extending the same kind of liberties that were done in Balance of Terror. But... I would really have to go back to the, watch the original episode just to verify that, but I'm pretty sure he's, I'm pretty sure he's not committing any new scientific sins. But um, definitely, there's a few things in here that really, mm, I mean, I, I love the I love the book and everything, and it's a great story and everything. But there's a few things that really 
kind of ruin it for me a little bit. Mm-hmm. When they're doing the, the war game, little exercise, where the right. Klingons are trying to find him, they're shooting concussive rounds that is emitting, I guess, sound waves. And that's supposed to pick things up. The right. only thing is, that's BS because sound waves don't travel in the vacuum of space. That was kind of bugging me. So sound waves have to sound waves have to actually tra- travel through something, and it's normally right. air, although it could be water and and even solids. But right. in the vacuum of space, no sound waves. So I mean, if they were doing some other kind of electromagnetic uh, waves or something, then maybe, but not sound. Right. So um, that was kind of bugging me. And then the other one that was kind of bugging me was. When the Klingons were losing, and this is kind of like the same thing, but another example. Right. No, absolutely. When the Klingons were losing and the guy just pushed over the <laughs> the little electronic device off the counter and the thud on the ground that that small device made was enough to alert the Klingons to their position. It's like, it's the same thing. It's a sound wave. Sound waves don't travel through space. It's like, uh, that was bugging me. Yeah, but that is from Balance of Terror. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, there, yeah. There was the, it was basically their submarine uh, Exactly. Episode. So this was supposed to be, like, they were definitely channeling World War II allied surface ships versus U-boats underwater. Right. I mean, completely. Right, where you drop the depth charges to get a ping off the radar, and then you can hear them talking so they have to be really quiet yeah yeah whatever yeah and, and they were actually they had little dotted lines in the um the word bubbles right. so they were definitely in this book giving you the impression everybody was was whispering yep again two sins that were committed in the original episode so he's probably saying i'm just continuing that right but still <laughs> which he has to i mean does he what? have to Yes, once once you set a precedent, you have to follow it. Not if you can come up with Even something if better. It doesn't make sense. No, no. If you can, if you can come up with something better, you should. <clears throat> in my opinion, but that's or fine. Just, Whatever. Or just don't draw attention to it. Just well, he let's didn't. Not, let's not he just went with it. it. Or okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, okay, well, he, okay, he, gotcha. He, he went with it again. Oh yeah. They should have just not brought it up again. Yeah. Come up with another way of. of I, I agree. That's it. that's that's what I'm saying. You know, like somehow connecting to the CC cameras that are on the ship and watching the guy at the at the console, you know, which which the Enterprise eventually was able to do somehow in that balance of terror. Yeah, time. that's a good point. That's another one that was like, what? Yeah, exactly. You did what? Well, they had to somehow prove that there are Vulcans on that ship. I agree. Or what um, looked like Vulcans. What looked like Vulcans. Anyways... Yeah, I had a problem with that too, but but like I said, I gave it a pass because it was in the in the original show, right? But yeah, you, you're talking about the dotted lines. Um, this issue has where uh, is it Koloth that's talking to the Praetor about uh, how he should woo? Oh yeah, Arlene, yeah. and and he's like doing the the curvy line with his hands, and they yeah. had the yeah the the, cur- the curvy outline of Lady Aaron. Yeah, I thought that was. It was kind of funny, but that that they had to draw it in there. But if they didn't draw it in there, there would be no way right. of knowing what what he's doing with his hands. Exactly, dual use of dotted lines in the same comic. <laughs> Burn! You're just using all the tools, aren't you? 
So I'm glad that you kept calling him Praetor and not by his name because I scanned through these books multiple times to try to figure out what his name was and yeah. still cannot find it. No. His name is not in here. And also, I'm pretty sure we do not know the name of the father, the, the, the original Romulan commander that was defeated by Kirk. Uh, well, his name is Kyrus. It's not mentioned in this one, but oh, okay, that is his name. So we knew that from the episode, TV episode. Sure. <laughs> I don't think we did. I don't think he ever introduced himself <laughs> by name. Uh, maybe I, I could be wrong. And they never mention his name here. So yeah, again, in this issue. Okay, but this isn't the first time. Like for instance, Byrne purposely avoided number one's name because he didn't know what it was. Right. And I thought again, he purposely avoided the uh, the father's name because the TV show never said, the episode never said. Right. But his name is Curris. Okay. And when did you see that? I saw it on Memory Alpha or Memory Beta. Okay. But scanning through Alien Spotlight, I don't see that they actually call him that, but I haven't read every bubble yet. Right. Okay. Well, we'll see. Uh, well, in the coming weeks, we'll be through all of them. But anyways, it was bugging me about the, the Praetor not having a name. Uh-huh. And then, you know, and this is a complete aside, but then it was starting to bug me that, you know, in these books, they don't make any reference to what we know of Romulan culture from the Next Generation movies. I mean, uh, they don't mention Remus, even though that Remus, the planet, was was acknowledged in um, the original series. But we never saw Remans in the original series. But that doesn't mean that they're not there. Mm -hmm. And we know what Remans are now, so why not somehow incorporate them into, into this story? Well, you could. But is it making it too crowded? Uh, I, I don't know that it's that important to this story. But yeah, it, if they could have done it without dragging things down, sure. Right. My last comment is just, I really enjoyed seeing Romulus. So, I mean, we do see Romulus in a variety of other video productions, but really, we saw a lot of it in this comic book, and I just kind of enjoyed it. Right. But I didn't go back and look, but does it look like the Romulus from unification and things like that? Uh, I don't recall. Yeah, me either. But they do have some far-off shots in this issue and the next issue um, that that paint a very interesting picture of uh, architecture. Right. But if I remember right, I thought the architecture kind of looked Roman-esque with like Colosseum-looking things and things like that, which I don't see in this issue. No. Yeah, there's no columns or anything that screams to you Roman at all. Right. Right. So I'll have to go back and watch like the um, the in Enterprise incident and stuff where they're actually on Romulus to see if if this matches that architecture or or did it show anything at all. Who knows? They were on a budget back then. They might not have had a lot of panning shots. Don't remember them ever being on Romulus in that episode. Were they not? I thought, or where were they when they when they stole it? On a ship, on a Romulan ship. And that woman that uh, Spock wooed—that she was on, the captain on the ship. Oh, okay, I well, think. Then, never mind. 
Okay. Oops. Maybe I'll watch it before uh, next week's Romulan episode. <laughs> <laughs> I I should have taken the time to watch it myself, uh, just for the hell of it, because I right. really enjoyed that episode. Right. Oh, wait, oh, hold. Enterprise incident. Okay, I didn't enjoy that as much. Balance of Terror, <laughs> I wanted to watch again. But, right. Okay. All right. Um, what else? I have no more comments about this one. I had a comment about the food they were eating. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that that they were feeding Arlene, um, which was like a, a red squiddy looking thing? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't think they named it. <laughs> We always hear about, you know, the, the weird things Romulans eat, but, I mean, uh, Klingons eat. But yes. Gah. We don't ever hear about um, Romulan cuisine, so it was, I was kind of interested. Yeah, and and this thing was his, her favorite dish, Lady Aaron's favorite dish, too. And uh, what does – it's it's like a hot pink, red pink, and it looks – it's not antennae, but it looks – well, maybe it is antennae. It has multiple things coming out of the head. Right. And uh, it almost reminds me a little bit, although not, not 100%, like that a, a bigger version of that earwig mother oh, that yeah. Khan used. But instead of mandibles, it has these little squiddy things? Well, yeah, like squiddy things or antennae. And there's like three of them that I can see. Right, right. On the head. Anyway, looks like it might. It looks like it's a furry, kind of like a furry insect. Hmm. It looked furry. Well, it kind of looks furry. I mean, look at the uh, thorax in the back. Yeah. Huh. Anyway. Anyways, it was it was weird. But then it just got me thinking. You know that that's weird that we've never seen anything about Romulan cuisine. Right. I mean, we know what Vulcans they're they're vegetarians. We know what Ferengis eat. We know what Klingons eat. We know what Cardassians eat. But we don't know what uh, Romulans eat. Well, the Romulans are very secretive, aren't they? Yeah, but they shouldn't be after 50 years. We should know a lot about them. Yeah. Something they, they need to explore in the next movie. You know, when Picard well. visits Romulus. Oh, whoops, he can't. Got blowed up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, should we go on to the next one? Yeah, let's do it. All right. All right, so I think I have the, the duties on this one. You'd better, because I didn't. <laughs> So this one's entitled uh, Hollow Crown, issue number two. I didn't see a subtitle or anything. I think it's the same thing. The cover doesn't actually October. have a date. Yeah, October but, 2008. Which is the same one as the last issue. So they're oh, both no, October no. 2008. Okay. All right, so this came out October 2008. All the writing staff is the same, right? Um, yeah. it's Didn't see any differences. Uh, yeah. Well, the writing definitely. Uh, Writing, uh, I'll just do it. Written and illustrated by John Byrne. Colors by Leonard O'Grady. Letters by Robbie Robbins. Edits by Chris Ryle. They're all the same. Okay. All right, so the cover shows a cloaked K-class Klingon vessel filling the page. You know, it's cloaked, so it's just the outline. Kind of like the Invisible Woman type looking thing. And right in front of the ship, we see an explosion. Possibly another ship being exploded. To the left and right of the ship, we see depictions of the Romulan Gaius and the Klingon core. And then below the ship, we see Aaron and the Praetor in a kiss uh, right below the explosion. 
So the story starts in Federation space. Garrus is commanding a Klingon K-class ship, and they are stalking a small Federation ship while in cloak. He is able to perform a few sneaky maneuvers while cloaked, and then they destroy the Federation craft before the humans even knew what hit them. Back on Romulus, the Praetor wants a little pre-marriage lovin' from Aaron. She tells him that he's going to have to wait a little bit longer. She also tells him that Gaius would want to rise through the ranks because of his own accomplishments and not because his mother is marrying the Romulan leader. A messenger suddenly arrives with a recording from Gaius about his success. The Praetor leaves his soon-to-be bride with a parting kiss. Once she is alone, Aaron gets sick over the edge of the stairs. Captain Kor witnesses this, and he offers his condolences on her obvious upset stomach. Later, Aaron leaves the Capitol building in a flowing red cloak. Under an archway, she switches her cloak with a waiting woman and continues her trek wearing a blue cloak. She arrives at her destination and receives a small gold-colored bomb. Later, she travels to an old woman and gets a poison. Meanwhile, Kor shows Gaius a recording of Kirk and tells the young man that he has a recording of the last message his father ever made. He plays it, and Gaius hears his father begging for mercy and Kirk refusing to give it and killing the disabled Romulan craft. These events are contrary to what we saw in The Balance of Terror. Gaius is eating this up, and his hatred for the Federation and Kirk is growing. The night before the wedding, Aaron and Gaius meet again. He is appalled by her replacing his father with a worm like the Praetor. She tells him that she's doing what she must, and she tries to relay a message to him without being obvious, but he is too angry to hear it. The next day at the wedding, the Praetor announces that his new stepson will be the next in line for Praetor. A Romulan named Atticus is supposed to kill the young Gaius after the wedding, but he is killed by Klingon's disruptor instead. That night in the honeymoon suite, the Praetor is finally ready to get to know Aaron, if you know what I mean. She gives him a huge kiss, but he starts to decompose as the poison she bought boils his blood and shatters his bones. She then uses the golden bomb to blow herself up, and she'll be able to blame the deaths on the Klingons, because it was a Klingon-designed bomb, I guess. She is confident that her son will be able to use these events as an excuse to run the Klingons off the planet once and for all. However, Aaron's plan backfires, as Kor is able to manipulate Gaius into believing that the Klingons are just being framed for the murder of his mother. Gaius's ties to the Klingons are strengthened even more, and the newly appointed Praetor claims to his people that they will be working in tandem with the Klingons to bring down the Federation. Kor is pleased with this outcome. To see that his plan to use the Romulans to fight the Federation has worked, and that they will not be violating the Organian Treaty. <laughs> the end. What a villain! What a villain! And there's the Federation. Hey man, we're just hanging out here. You know, we're being cool. But you got these guys ganging up on you. Come on. Yeah. Does this maybe explain better in Schisms, Romulan Schisms, which I have not read yet? But just because you now got the Romulans in the mix, 
trying to go after Kirk and the Federation. How is that going to circumvent the Organian peace treaty and the Organian's influence? Because they're not, they're not performing the actions directly themselves. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so the Organians are not going to get in the way of Romulan aggression. They're just going to get in the way of Klingon aggression or Federation aggression. Exactly. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I, I don't know that it, that is necessarily going to be the fact. But, okay. Yeah, I haven't read Schisms, so <clears throat> maybe the Organians show up. Maybe there's a – maybe somehow John Byrne's going to have his own explanation as to why the Organian Treaty disappears after the original series is over. Well, that is a big question, isn't it? I think we brought it up in the past because right. there was a book that – I mean there were comic books that kind of talked about it. But in the TV series, they just kind of you know forgot about the Organians after a while. Right. So – it's like, hey, that's been a few seasons. That's been a season or so ago. Yeah, we can forget about that now. Right. So maybe, again, Byrne is explaining even more stuff the TV series didn't. Maybe. Because I'm not crazy about the way this was left. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with this being the panacea. But they sure do seem sure it is. So... Right. Core and Koloth. Right. I thought this was actually kind of a clever way. I mean, as long as they're not the ones shooting the gun, then I guess technically they're not violating the the treaty. That's that's the way I took it. Even though they're sicking these people with guns onto the Federation, but they're doing it in a way that the Romulans think they're doing it on their own. Hmm. Very sneaky. Oh, it's it's incredibly sneaky. I just don't see it necessarily getting around the peace tree, the Organian's influence. But, okay, that's fine. Um, Very cool to see that the Romulans did not have transporter technology. Yeah, that was interesting. It was very interesting. Is that referenced anywhere else? No, I've never heard of it anyplace else. Um, uh, Another thing that's interesting is in the beginning, in the first issue of of this this two-issue series, when the Praetor steps onto the Klingon ship. It's like, wait a minute. I, w- I was thinking, wait a minute. This seems to be really easy. <laughs> uh, they seem to be, a- the Klingons seem to be able to snatch the leader of an empire awfully easy. So, so yeah, how, also, how did they get so close to Romulus to be able to do this? But Whatever. But well, even more so, how were they able to transport up uh, the Praetor? I mean, wouldn't they have countermeasures in place, uh, the Romulans? Unless, of course, they're not familiar with transporter technology. It's possible they're not. Uh, it's possible they're not. But also, the, I mean, the Praetor did have that conversation with the Klingon at the end of uh, Alien Spotlight. So he might have been a willing, a willing kidnappy, if you will. Well, they have the relationship from that issue, sure, but but still, okay. Well, anyway, it just uh, it just uh, oh, yeah, struck me as odd. I, I mean, if they don't know about beaming, then then yeah, they wouldn't have any countermeasure for it. Right. Good point. I thought it was really interesting how uh, Lady Aaron 
took her own life in the furtherance of the plan of getting the Praetor out and stopping the warmongering, uh, stopping all the the total guns uh, and sacrificing the butter that he he was going through. So I, I thought that was I thought it was very interesting. I thought it was interesting too. Just um, two things: one, she put a lot of faith into somebody that wasn't listening to her at all, and obviously, it was I, misplaced. I agree with you one freaking hundred percent. So that's part of a different comment I've got. But right. okay, so she never told her son about this grand plan. So she must have thought that her that his uncle, her brother-in-law, and I think her father was in the mix too. Anyway, there were multiple people that were conspirators. Right. So at the very least, we know it's the brother of the father uh, was also involved. So she put an awful lot of faith that whoever the conspirators were, in addition to the uncle, were going to be able to influence Gaius. Right. And, and, and I mean, was Gaius being promoted to Praetor part of her plan? Because it definitely was part of the Klingon's plan. But uh, that, that I, I wonder if maybe that threw her plan off too. That I, I think it might have. Yeah. The only thing is, okay, let's think about this for a second. Because there's a lot of things going on in here. <laughs> I right. mean, there are plans and plans and plans. We, we have at least three, maybe four different plans going on here. The, the different wheels spinning here. Right. Um, but, so let's say that he wasn't going to become Praetor, Gaius. So what was the plan? She was going to kill herself. The Praetor would have been killed. So right. who's next in line? That cousin is next in line, right? Wouldn't you think? The one that that the Klingon shot in the head? Yes, exactly. But the right. thing is, I did, so... Okay, so was the cousin of the Praetor, was he in league with Aaron and the conspirators and the uncle? I don't think so because he was going to kill Gaius. He was going to kill Gaius, but he was going to kill Gaius based on what his brother was telling him about having the opportunity to take back uh, his rightful place as the heir. Uh, uh... So it's kind of... Because you do know at one point the uncle is standing there talking to the cousin. I mean, I think in the first issue. Right. Uh, they're talking together and stuff. And it seems like they might have something going. And maybe in the end they were. But in the meeting of the conspirators where the lady Erin goes there in her purple jumpsuit or whatever the hell she had on, I don't remember the Praetor's cousin being there. Uh, no, but there was a group of people, and and I mean, obviously it was all coordinated. So okay, she's part of a movement, but I, yeah, you're right. I don't know who all was there. Yeah, but that would make more sense. So let's say that the cousin didn't show up at the meeting of the conspirators, but he was still in league via the uncle, so that he was in place to step in. And then when the praetor put Gaius as his successor. Then that threw off Aaron's plans. But... But you know with me on this one? I'm wondering... I also kind of wonder if Aaron 
by Aaron keep saying, hey, he doesn't want to be promoted, you know, just because he's my son. Yeah. If she was saying all that stuff, knowing that the Praetor being the Praetor would do the opposite, and maybe all along she was kind of indirectly pushing him into uh, the eventual assignment as next in line. Okay. I, uh, I don't know. I, uh, I, like uh, I said, I could see it going so many different ways. Yeah, and maybe that was the case. But if that was the case, you never talked to him. You never let him know what the plan was. And, and and I know you probably wanted to protect him by not telling him the deal of what was going on. But how was he going to know to when he did become ruler because she blew up the – and actually killed him before the, the explosion, the Praetor. How did he know what game plan to follow after he became Praetor? Right. I mean – He's off there doing his military thing. What makes you think he's automatically going to be peace-loving? Right, yeah. He's blowing up all these Federation ships. And you know he's got a bone to pick over his father's death with the Federation. Right. So, I don't know. I think the Lady Aaron, <laughs> although I love that she killed that Praetor, and I like how she did it, I still think she was misguided. Right. Uh, unless, again, of course, she was expecting the cousin to take over. But then she did not know that the cousin was going to kill Gaius, um, which was completely the Praetor's – well, actually, in the Praetor, but really Koloth's doing uh, right. through the Praetor. Anyway, I, I just which, thought it was really cool. I also cool. couldn't figure out why, why – what did, what did the Praetor – what would he get out of – Promoting him to be, you know, next in line, and then kill him all on the same day. What, what was he going to get out of that? You know, I couldn't understand that. that well, okay. Either. So the idea of okay, so he did want Lady Aaron to marry him, right? Yeah, he wanted that. Only so because Klingons, the, the Klingons him. did, and I thought he also thought that would help ensure that Aaron would marry him. Uh, he, despite what she had said, his original. I think originally thought by making him line of succession to him, he was embracing the boy and would really be sealing the deal with Aaron. Right. Despite the fact that, yes, she did say that, oh, you know, my, my son wants to earn it, not just be given it. But I, at least I thought that was part of his motivation. But I don't know. Yeah, it's not, it's not 100% clear. No, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. I think this is pretty cool. It's it's wheels within wheels, plots within plots, and isn't it amazing how good the uh, Klingons were at pulling this off? Man, they're <laughs> much better than any of their other plans that we've ever seen. In, oh yeah, in the shows. Well, like Core says, you know, this devious stuff is not my way of normally doing things, but it's working out okay. So, <laughs> thumbs up, uh, Koloth. So in regards to how she kills the Praetor, um, how did she inject him with the poison and not uh, affect herself? Well, Is... good question. Because basically it was in the lipstick. Okay. So and, and it, lipstick. It, poison lipstick, which is not the first time we've seen poison lipstick in <laughs> in stories. Not Star Trek, right. but in stories. But so she just yeah. didn't ingest it, but I, it's on her I don't know. I don't, uh, rubber lips? I don't know. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know exactly. But I do like the way he died. 
It's gruesome, man. Mm. He's just melting. Yeah. Yeah, maybe before she put it on, she took the antidote? I don't know. The, the main point is, he's melting, and I love it. Yeah, and what she's, how she's describing it was just so nasty. Yeah. His blood is boiling, and his yeah. bones will crystallize and start shattering, slicing his flesh. I mean, yowzers, that's a horrible way to go. It is, and that's so cool. I mean, she could have just blown up the room. Right. And taken him out, but she wanted to see him die horribly first. Right. Well, this is the guy that killed her husband. Exactly. And was about to kill her and her son. Right. Yeah, until he suddenly decided he wanted to woo her instead. Well, yeah. Interesting. Good stuff. Yeah, it's great stuff. Um, I thought it was interesting how the commercial Federation uh, trade ship looked kind of similar to the Phoenix. It was channeling the Phoenix a bit. I thought that was kind of interesting. Right, so... Is it was it not part of Starfleet? Because that was one of my questions too. Because they're yeah, not wearing I, Starfleet uniforms. No, I, I think it was uh, a commercial hauler. Oh, okay. So I don't think it was Starfleet. And didn't they actually say something like that? I don't know. I'd have to. Uh, blah 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 blah. I don't know. It, but it seemed like it almost looked like, like they had Archer uniforms on to me. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, this the blue and then the like gold. Outlining, right? But um, yeah, I think they, I think they said somewhere in there it was a commercial craft, but okay. whatever. I mean, well, but that it, would explain it, why they're not wearing uniforms then. Well, they got uniforms, just not Starfleet uniforms. Right, right, right. And but yeah, I mean, it looks like the Phoenix. It now does a little bit, yeah. Now this would have been, well, like a hundred years past the Phoenix, right? Um, so interesting that it still kind of looks like the Phoenix, but. Interesting choice, Burn. Cool. Why not? Well, in in Enterprise, we see some commercial freighters because. Uh, but did they look like that? Mayweather's parents worked on one. I agree, but did it look like to, that? I'm trying to think now. I mean, it might have just been a, a tube with nacelles on it. Yeah, I, I don't remember myself, but right, I don't either. It's been it's been a little while. Fifteen years since I saw it. Right. Hmm. Okay. Another thing is I'm so happy they drew the Klingons to look like Taw's Klingons. So happy. <laughs> well, and this whole Romulans too. Exa- right, yeah. So you're talking about Kor, you're talking about Koloth. Don't go messing with them. So, yeah, I, I just really hate when they ret- retcon things like, like that in some of these Taw's era uh, stories. So, right. Yeah, so even the technology, like like I think uh, Core at one point is giving him a uh, big plastic box looking thing mm-hmm. that's a data disk, but it's very reminiscent to those little wooden blocks that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So, how many things were explained here in these two? Okay, so. At least from this story, we can see what prompted the Romulans to come out of hiding and go up against the Federation. Well, crazy Praetor. Crazy dictator Praetor that wanted to go out and uh, and assert the great Empire's power. Okay, lovely. Um, How did the Klingons and Romulans get chummy enough for the Romulans to start using Klingon ships? And why did they start using it? What was the motivation to use Klingon ships? Well, right. these issues explain it. Yep. Uh, the prototype 
Romulan ships were so bleeding edge that they weren't dependable enough in battle. Interesting how retrofitting their uh, cloaking technology into the Klingon ships made a better solution. But, okay, so we we see how that's happening. Very cool. And then um, I kind of like seeing Col- you know, Koloths run in with the Tribbles referred to. Mm-hmm. That was cool. I like that. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> uh, a great reason why Koloth wasn't around until the end of the issue. And then how did Romulans obtain transport attack? Interesting. I never knew this, but from the Klingons. Um, and then what else is explained? Well, I guess that's the main thing. Yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah. I guess in the end, not in this, these issues, but maybe maybe the uh, the ones we'll read next week, we'll find out what happened to the Organians. Right. How effective this whole plan was in taking the shackles off of the Klingons. Right. Right. And here's what I'm... Help me out with this this uh, timeline quandary that I've always had. Um, when, when did and this has to do with Star Trek Five? When did um, what was that Remus Three or whatever the 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 peace planet was that that was co-founded by the Federation? Klingon oh, and, right. Uh, Romulans, Klingons, and uh, Federation. Yeah. Right. When when was that supposedly done? Because if if they didn't know that the Romulans were Vulcanoid, then it had to have been after the original series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at what point? But then when you watch the movie, I mean, it looks all run down and Mad yep. Maxy. So it kind of <laughs> looks like it's been there for hundreds of years. Oh, well, not hundreds, but yeah, it's been there a while. Time. It's been there a while. That or just never put any money into it. Well, it couldn't have. It couldn't have been hundreds of years. It, well, unless they they just wanted, they didn't care about continuity. Well, that's what I'm worried about. Yeah, yeah. Good point. I'll have to look it up. Yeah, because that'll, that'll that, be another homework. For now, me. maybe fifty years, maybe twenty years, maybe twenty five years, maybe. But uh, no. But was there uh, that much time between the original series and Star Trek Five? Well, twenty years. Okay. You know, uh, fifty? No. <laughs> you know, maybe twenty. Yeah. Okay. Well, the original ser- series was late sixties. Um, Star Trek Five. When did that come out? Late eighties, early night, late eighties. Late eighties. Yeah. So maybe twenty years. Right, that that so. that rundown condition, it would have had to have been engaged and and gotten run down within twenty years or less for that to be consistent. I think. Yeah, I'll have to look it up. Yeah, there you go. But anyways, that'd be another question that I would I would like answered. Yeah. You okay. Know, well, <laughs> I really don't think much of Star Trek Five, but <laughs> good point. Well, it's just you know you always have one of the you always have those questions about what how how can that fit into the continuity and that that one's always been one that bugged me. Yeah. Along with the Klingon ships suddenly being used by the Romulans. Oh yeah. And that the, that one was Klingons, in your face. Klingon suddenly getting cloaking technology, I guess, from the Romulans. So yeah. It's nice to see it all fit together. Yeah. Thank you, John Byrne. Thank you, John Byrne. Thank you. <laughs> And it does kind of make sense that 
there's some cross-pollination of technologies because everybody's kind of like, you know, kind of have similar capabilities. Um, nobody has a huge technological edge over anybody else, except when the Romulans had cloaking technology. But right. that's getting spread around. And then we find out that the Romulans didn't have transporter technology. Cool, that makes sense. So they're able to get, you know, the Romulans were working on uh, guns, not butter, and they were worrying about weapon systems and cloaking technology. Um, right. Anyway, so interesting how everybody's equalizing by either by hook or crook, voluntarily or involuntarily, technology uh, crossing borders. Right. So. All right. I don't have any other comments. Anything else? Nope. I'm done. Enjoyed it. I thought it was, uh, I think this, uh, these three issues were really good at filling in uh, gaps. Liked it. Right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to schisms uh, and see what Praetor Gaius is up to in the next three issues. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, um, I guess that's it. So. We'll be back next week with some more Romulan goodness. Oh, yes. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.